Man, it's so good to see everybody here today. It's good to be in church on Sunday morning to me. I'm telling you what, I, I have been needing the fellowship of the brothers and sisters in the Lord today, this week. Have you? I don't know, uh, most of you, are, you know, if you're like me, you, you, see, you see the news, and it has just been a brutal week in our country. It's, it's been a tragic week, an ugly week, a lot, a lot happening. And it, it, you know, it sends the mind in all kinds of different directions and has you asking all kinds of questions and why God and what hap- what's going to happen and all this sort of thing. And I tell you what, it has just, it has made me so appreciative that I, I am blessed with, with a church. I am blessed with a community of people that I can come and gain strength from. And I am so, I, I'm, 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 I know I'm kind of going all over the place on this, but you know, the, the tragedy that, you know, the, the, the shootings that we saw in Louisiana and Minnesota and then the tragic shootings in, in Dallas uh, this week, uh, they're kind of, a, they're a punch in the gut, aren't they? They're a reminder that this world is, is not, is, is not all uh, redeemed. There's a lot of this world that's messed up and... Um, and we need Jesus. It was a, I was reminded this week of how much we need Jesus, how much this world, this country, our communities, our neighborhoods need Jesus. And there's nothing else that, that will solve the problem. Amen. We'll debate and we'll talk about things and we'll vote this way or that way, but nothing will solve the problem but Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can change the heart of man. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And... Uh, I don't really know where I'm going here, but I, I just I just want to acknowledge the, the the pain that is out there, and you know we're a special church. One of the things I love about this church is that we're we're all from we're from all over the place here. We're from all over the world. We have people of all different nationalities, all different backgrounds. We're all generations, and we're all ethnicities. We're all colors at this church. And I love that because that's the body of Christ, right? That is the body of Christ. If you want to go to a white church or you want to go to a black church, I will humbly offer you the door and hold it open for you as you go look for it. But that's not this. We're, We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm happy about that. But... That means we got a lot of different pain in, in the same room. And I recognize that. And, and I have to tell you, to, to, to my, I'm just sitting here thinking this week, you know, to, I'll just speak honestly to, to my African-American brothers and sisters here today. I ache for, for what you go through in this country. And I realize I don't understand I realize that I can stand beside you in solidarity and be like, I've got your back, I'm, I'm with you. But I fully recognize that I, I can't understand. I can't walk in your shoes. I don't know what it's like to feel fear anytime I get pulled over. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. I've got friends who are cops. I, I don't know what it's like to always be on edge and not know if a person's walking towards me or they coming towards me to say thank you or to start something. I don't know what that's like. But the one thing 
we have in common is Jesus. We know Jesus faced everything. We know Jesus is greater than everything. And there's nothing that can divide us if we keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so I'm reminded this week of how badly this world needs Jesus and how badly this world needs you and me. Because we have an awesome responsibility. We get to be ambassadors for Jesus. Ambassadors for Jesus to a world that is aching for him. Right? So that's what we get to do. And the Bible says that the world is going to see our love and recognize Jesus in that. They're going to see something special in this. Right? So I love you guys. That, that was just a, a f- little sermon number one. Um, I just wanted to say that. Amen. All right. Woo! It's all, get all emotional in here, isn't it? Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, you guys want to study some word today? All right. Let's do it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. Exodus. All right. How fitting. We are talking about freedom. Hallelujah. Freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are, we're in a series right now called The Laws of of love, and uh, we're looking three thirty-five hundred years ago. Uh, Moses came down the mountain. You remember you, you saw the movie with Charlton Heston. He came down the mountain with a big beard. Moses comes down the mountain from Mount Sinai with these ten commandments, etched in stone by God Himself. And uh, these ten commandments are amazing because they're not just more rules to follow. Something amazing was happening here. They weren't just more rules to follow. These ten commandments were a symbol of God's incredible love. His, his devotion to his people. And so, and so the Ten Commandments were, for the Israelites, they were uh, God's steps to becoming human beings again. They had been slaves for 400 years, for as long as anybody could remember. They had been slaves, and so he's teaching them how to live like humans again. And uh, so the Ten Commandments are part of God's covenant with them. They're not the conditions that they had to follow to make him love them, love the Israelites. He already loved them. Uh, he, he, rather, the Ten Commandments, they were confirmation that he loved them. The Ten Commandments are confirmation that he loved them. They weren't a condition for him to love them. And so for, for us today, these Ten Commandments, my goodness, we look at all the ugliness in the world. I'm telling you what, if people would just live by the Ten Commandments, this would be a beautiful place, wouldn't it? Uh, it, it, we, we'd be loving on each other and everything would be great. But for us today, these Ten Commandments are still this beautiful picture of what it looks like to live out the greatest commandment that Jesus taught us about 1,000 years, 1,500 years after these Ten Commandments were given. Jesus, they asked him, well, what's the greatest one? And he said, well, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, body, spirit, all kinds of stuff, muscles, bones, everything. Love him with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And so these Ten Commandments are really just a fleshing out of those two. And so that's what we're looking at. We're, we're, we're in commandment number three. The first commandment we explored was have no other gods before me, right? He, God said, if, you, if we're going to have this relationship, you can't have other lovers. It's got to just be me. Then he says, don't make any idols of me. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Don't try to shrink me down to something you can manage. Uh, you know, God's beyond the horizon of our comprehension, amen? And so today we are going to check out number three, and that is in Exodus chapter 20, verses seven. Number three. So first we did number one, then we did number two. Next time we're together, we're going to do number four. So you might notice a pattern here. Today's number three. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay. Most of us have heard this, right? Uh, most, most of us who, who had, you know, mamas that maybe washed our mouth out with soap or something, you know, if we, if we said something wrong. We hear this commandment, most people think something like, thou shalt not scream my name when you lose your temper. Right? That's, that's usually what most of us think of. Uh, when I was growing up, my, my friends and I, we weren't allowed to say gosh, you know, because that kind of sounds like God. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you, we, we couldn't say like, you, you, you didn't say gee willikers because it, it starts with the same thing as Jesus and that's just a slippery slope to hell. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you just wanted to avoid gee willikers at all costs. But so today we want to know, is that all that means? Is it, you know, is it just gee willikers that we got to really, are we only breaking the third commandment, you know, when we text OMG to, to our friend or something like that? So we'll look at this. There might be something more to it. Maybe. Otherwise we can go home right now. Um, now, as we've seen over the past few weeks, Hebrew is just this treasure trove of a language. It is so awesome and has these beautiful things to say. And the Jewish writers pay a lot of attention to the words, especially in the Torah. They, they pay attention to every single word. So we're going to unpack verse 7 a little bit and kind of look at what's, what's happening here. I'm kind of a, a geek when it comes to this stuff. The first word I want to look at is this word nasa. Everybody say nasa. Nasa. Looks like nasa. It means to carry or lift. So when it says that you will not take the name you will not take it literally means you will not carry or lift god's name wrongly right you will not carry you know how you can lift something wrong my wife will always tell me if i'm picking up something heavy she's like lift with your legs not your back see we all know that um so you can carry something wrongly and god is inviting us to represent him in the world. God's reputation is on the line. And, and his reputation to the world is going to depend on how we carry God's name publicly. The second word I want to look at is this word, uh, shav. Shav. It's, it's often translated in vain. Uh, in, in the King James vein, some, some of your other translations will use different words. But the literal translation is something like unreality or false or emptiness. Like... like Nothing, nothing there. It's this idea of nothingness or emptiness. If you want to get really detailed, here's a, a, a phrase uh, the commentators say. It's anything which disappoints the hope which rests upon it. Anything which disappoints the hope which rests upon it. So, so to nasa shav is to literally to carry around something in a way that is not like reality. To carry around something in a way that is not like reality. The third word that's very important in this verse is Shem, which means name. Shem. Huge word. Such, such unbelievable mad respect for God's name the, the, the Israelites had. The Jewish people, in, his, in Jesus' day, they wouldn't even say the name of God, his personal name of God. They believed that if you uttered the name, it was like bringing judgment on yourself. So they wouldn't say it when they spoke of God out of this sense of awe and reverence, this, you know, the transcendent power of the creator. They said, you know, I'm not even worthy to, to speak those, that, that word. So they would refuse to say Jehovah. So they would refer to him often as Hashem, Hashem the name. They would refer to him as the name. We praise the name. So they would say, so one of the phrases you would hear is Baruch Hashem, praise God, praise 
the name. Um, and, and so was this, there was a sense of power in the name. When they would write the scriptures, they wouldn't write his whole name. <clears throat> They'd use abbreviations. Even today, sometimes, if you're on like a blog or something like that, or a message board, you see people will write like G-D, just out of, <clears throat> excuse me, just out of respect. Even though God's really a title, it's not his name. Um, but still, they're, they're trying to be respectful. Um, so, you shall not lift up, misuse, exploit the name of the Lord your God in a way that mis- misrepresents who he is. That is sin. So, today. Now, let's talk a little bit about words. Because this verse has a lot to do with words. Generally, when we, we think of taking God's name in vain, we think of swearing. A lot of, most of the time, that's kind of what we think of. Um, or using, like I said, God's name in the middle of screaming something that isn't a prayer, right? I once saw a very profound bumper sticker. It said, God's last name isn't damn it. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> I, I used to have this friend, uh, Randy, back when I was a teenager. And he, he was really, he was really protective of the name of God. And if somebody got mad and like shouted out Jesus, he would shout out, is Lord, like really fast. <laughs> I remember he would always do that. Um, he had God's back. Um, um, now, there, there are plenty of scriptures uh, that support the idea that Christians should only allow God-honoring communication out of our mouth. That's, that's plain in the word all over the place. Um, it's, it's become sort of, it's kind of weird lately. It's become sort of fashionable among um, kind of Christian hipsters or some communities to lately to sort of use a lot of profanity as kind of like a badge of grace uh, to sort of uh, show how not under the law you are, um, which is really strange to me. Um, and I agree, on one hand, we don't need to be superstitious about words. Uh, you know, about bad words versus good words. Ultimately, words are collections of syllables. You know, uh, th- there aren't any words that are innately evil to pronounce. There aren't any words, you know, that sprung from hell, you know, and, and you, you can't say those. You know, if somebody cussed right in front of you in Russian, most of you wouldn't be offended a bit, right? It, w- it wouldn't, like, hurt your spirit or anything. Because it, it's not that the power isn't in the speaking of the syllables, it's in the hearing of them and, and understanding them. I was looking up some interesting things. I was, I was reading this thing. It said um, words that we say that are innocent, that are like bad words in other languages. Uh, if you said the word uh, cookie to a Hungarian man, he would punch you in the face. And you just have to take my word for it as to why. Um, the Korean word, I don't know if anybody speaks Korean in here, the Korean word for diarrhea is salsa, <laughs> which ex- explains why it doesn't sell very well there. Uh, nobody wants to buy it. You see, words just, they, they... And a lot of language, a lot of language is tribal, too. There are words that um, kids use today. There's words that, that my son uses today that some folks in the older generation find crude, Am I right? Um, my Gigi says yes. <laughs> right? And I'll tell you, there's words the older generation uses that some folks in the younger generations find really backward and offensive. Right? So it goes both ways. 
right? But to different generations, like, well, we don't mean anything by that. Well, to another generation, it means a, it means a whole lot. One of the traits of being a Christ-like human being, someone who lets love guide you, is that you may choose to, around certain people to not use terms that you think are actually fine, that you think are actually harmless, but that you know might offend someone else. See, that's one of the traits of people who walk around in love. Amen. We think about stuff like that. We don't just say, I don't have a problem with this word. You're tough luck if you, if you do. That's not love, is it? So love says, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually care about how you receive what I say. Um, I don't want to make you stumble. I don't want to make, you know, love doesn't want to make people anxious around them, you know, or cause them to be uncomfortable. That is uh, love. Um, Paul says all things are permitted, but not everything is loving. Everything's permitted, but not everything's loving. So we want to be loving. At the same time, we don't want to lend words some kind of mystical power that they don't really have, right? Um, but what words do is reveal the intent of the heart. This is what Scripture says about words. Both the apostles Paul and James say a whole ton about taming the tongue. Taming the tongue, not because there's intrinsically evil words, but, or, you know, magic words you can't ever pronounce, but because the tongue reveals the heart. The tongue reveals the heart. Um, okay, I say all of that to say this. None of this has anything to do with the third commandment. Okay? That was another freebie. To, to make this command, to make this command about using bad language is actually to miss the heart of what God is telling his people. Remember, God's brought his people here. He's teaching them how to be human beings again. He's teaching them how to love him, how to express love, how to love other people. He's teaching them how to love, how, how we're going to, how this relationship, we've, this new relationship that I have with you, my people, how it's going to look like. So to misuse God's name or to carry it in vain is to attach his name to something. To, to something it doesn't belong to, to a purpose that it doesn't belong to, uh, that's not God's purpose, based on our own motives. In Micah 4, um, you can turn there if you want to, but Micah 4, now remember these first four commandments, and some would argue the fifth one as well, are all an elaboration of the, the first half of Jesus' great commandment 1,000 years later, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So we're learning what loving God actually looks like. In Micah chapter 4, it says this, All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. So there's something very powerful and Hard to explain about God's name here. Micah says, Micah says, this name isn't just some empty word. There actually is a power in this name. And it's evident all through Scripture. Um, and and we'll, maybe we'll get a chance to go through this more in our home life groups during the week. Um, but the name of God is some sort of realm. It's some sort of dimension. And you can either live and, and walk like everybody else, or you can choose to live and walk in the name of God. And it's a different way of living. It, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. It's an entirely new way of living. So look at what the Apostle John says a thousand years later, what he says about Jesus in John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah 
the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing you may have life in his name. In his name. So the writers keep saying that you receive life from Jesus by living in his name. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And they were, these guys were willing to even suffer and die for the name. Look at First Peter 4. It says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now notice, notice it says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, not because you were just being obnoxious, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So somehow this name is synonymous with God's presence and his spirit. If you skip down to verse 16, he says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The name. You get roughed up, you know, because you're a follower of Jesus. Don't worry about it. It's cool because you bear the name. You bear the name. In 3 John, verse 6, he says, They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So these people, they're going around and they carry the name of God wherever they go. They're, they're name bearers, right? You and me, as followers of Jesus, in this, we're in this vibrant relationship with, with God. You're somebody who carries this name on you, right? When you follow Christ, that holy, untouchable name, that Hashem, has somehow been placed on you, and you carry it wherever you go, right? This is why you're tired at night. You've been walking, you've been, no. that was a bad joke. If we had a second service, I would skip that joke, but <laughs> next year. <laughs> so if this is true, if this is true, we're bearing this name, then God, for some mind-blowing reason, God actually entrusts his reputation to people. God entrusts his reputation to people. One of the primary ways that God decides to make himself known to the world isn't by, you know, showing up in the middle of Times Square and doing lots of tricks. He doesn't do that. He, it's through people like you and me. We get to be the church outside these doors. And, and we are the people on whom he has placed his name. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you carry the name wherever you go. You carry the name of God. Whatever you do, you're, you're carrying the name of God into that situation. Think about what you do all week long. One, one ancient writer even said, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. Because what we have here is this world that doesn't know God, this world that doesn't know God, and they can look at these people who carry God's name around, and they can see what God is like. That's, that's the idea. They don't know God. They're going to see these people bearing his name. So that's what you do 24-7. You show the world what God is like. No pressure. But that's what you're doing 24-7. When you walk into that meeting on Monday morning at work, or when you walk down the halls of your school, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are carrying the name of God into the room with you. Right? If you spend all day at work, and, or, or, 
you know, you're selling shoes or whatever it is you do for a living or you're serving food or you're answering phones or if you're at home and you're correcting your kids, you are carrying the name. You're representing the name. You show people what God is like by how you conduct yourself. It's an it's a awesome responsibility. Now, why does God do it this way? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. I would not do it this way if I were God. Why does God entrust his reputation to people? That is baffling to me, right? Why does the the televangelist on television wearing five rings on one hand, why does he get to bear the name and represent Christ to the world, right? Why does the Christian dude who wears socks with his sandals get to represent Christ to the world, right? Thank you. Right? Why isn't there like a class in good taste? Everyone has to pass before you get to admit out loud you're a Christian. That's the way I would do it if I were God, but I'm not God, right? Every, I mean, any obnoxious, self-righteous jerk gets to, uh, gets to represent God to the world. Why not just the really cool people, you know, who are like really easygoing and loving, you know, and use cruelty-free shampoo and all that kind of stuff? Why, don't, why aren't they the only ones? I don't know. God just lets people run around representing him, doesn't he? They get to carry his name. He allows them to do all sorts of things, even things that are contrary to God, and he lets them do it, and he doesn't strike them dead. Does anybody else have a problem with this? (laughs) Just me. Just me. It's my private issue. Um, But you know what? I have a feeling if I tried to bring this up to God... I have a feeling, you know what he would say? He, you know what say, God would say back? He'd say, well, Scott, let, let's talk about your levels of perfection first, right? And then we'll work on everybody else. And, and that would, you know, take all the passion out of all my arguments uh, when, he, when he says stuff like that. I hate it. But um, now, all of this has some really profound consequences. We bear the name. Let, I want to talk about two words this morning in the time we have left. The first word I want to talk about is Witnessing. Witnessing. Sometimes you'll hear Christians say, I want to be a witness. I want to be a witness. Technically, according to scriptures, that the scriptures we just looked at, you already are. You're a witness. Um, you know, I want to start witnessing more for God. Actually, you already have been. Uh, the question is, are you doing it well? What name are you proclaiming? Uh, because you're witnessing to others about God. If, you, if you're a believer, you're a disciple, you're witnessing to others about God every day, every, every time anybody's around. And so you may be witnessing of a God who doesn't really resemble the true God. And God says, don't you carry my name in a way that doesn't represent me. In vain, empty, false. So I'm already a witness. So the better question is, uh, what God am I a witness of? Am I a, am I a witness of a God of grace and mercy? Is that what people are noticing when they look at me? Or am I a witness of a God who's judgmental and harsh and critical of everything and a God who's waiting to zap people? Do I witness of a God who, who identifies with the marginalized and the brokenhearted, the oppressed, or am I witnessing of a God who's just really, really into me accumulating more stuff? Is that, 
Is that the God I'm letting everybody know about? So if you're a Christian, you carry the name. You carry the name. You've been witnessing since the day you said yes to Jesus. You've been witnessing. I've been witnessing. Through your actions, through the way you spend your money, through the way you talk to your kids, through the way you treat your spouse, you've been witnessing to the world to what God is like. To carry the name is to witness to what God is like. So when I worry, when I'm moping around and I worry and I carry all my problems to the point they're just weighing me down and crushing me and I'm just this stressed, worried ball of mess, right? I am demonstrating to the world my God is not capable of helping me with life's problems. I'm witnessing to the name. I'm making a public confession to what my God is like. Now, let's, let's back up a little bit here. Because don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we keep our problems to ourselves. I'm not saying that we act all fake, you know, like everything's okay and we suffer alone and walk alone. That's not what we're about. Um, heaven forbid. We are called to bear one another's burdens. Amen? So let me try to explain the difference as I see it. The, there's a vast difference between you going to your Christian brother or sister or to your home group or to those people that you, you trust and you rely on and they're doing life with you and you say, guys, I need help. I need help. I need prayer. I am not okay. I need God to move in my life. Things are not okay. There's a huge difference between that, which is beautiful, and me jumping on Twitter or Facebook and shotgunning all my woes to the world, all my opinions in this sort of vomit of frustration, of doubt and anger and all this sort of thing. Believe me, I have, I have deleted a lot of tweets, okay? <laughs> I've written them and then thought, nope, that doesn't bear witness to the name, right? I understand, but there's a huge difference between that uh, I, I, am, I am proclaiming what my God is like to people who don't know Jesus. I'm letting everybody, those, those in the world, people who know that I claim to be a Christian, that I claim that my life is in the hands of the one who bore all my pain and bore all my sorrows and all my troubles. Because never forget, never forget, wherever I go and whatever I decide to, to spill out there on social media, I am witnessing to what my God is like, right? So, so even when I do need to go before my brothers and sisters and say, guys, I'm a mess, I need help, right? I do it in a totally different way because I'm witnessing to what my God is like. I'm witnessing to what he's like. And carrying the name in vain is to empty it of power to declare that God has little or no power to create or to provide the strength that I need you know, to live victoriously. In other words, carrying the name in vain is a way of saying that God is not omnipotent. If the entire planet Earth, think of it this way, if the entire planet Earth could get together and they could all ask one thing or, or tell, say one thing to you and me, do you know what they would tell us? They would say, you are teaching us about God. The entire planet would say, you are teaching us about God. 
So go for it. We're watching. That's what the world says to us. If people know that you know God, then you're teaching them about God. Why does God choose to do it this way? Why he uses people like me and all my imperfections? Why does he use people like you with all your faults and all of our petty little things, all of our passive-aggressive issues that we have? Why does he use us? I don't know. But he does. And God would say to us, when you interact with the world, when you interact with people and you speak and when you help and you're out there serving and you create and you produce art or whatever it is that you do, you are how I tell the world about me. That is what God would say. So don't take my name and do things that are incompatible with how I am. Amen? Amen. Okay. Second word I want to look at today, this word leverage. Leverage. One of the common ways uh, that we, we misuse the name of God is simply by using it in ways in which it was never intended. Using the name of God in ways, or in attaching his name to something that has nothing to do with him. Um, people in the church, you know, all over the world do this. Even super spiritual people do this. I know none of us ever do this. Um, but other people, I've heard, in other churches, it's happening. Um, we, we use the name of God as a scapegoat to either get what we want or to get out of something we don't want. We use the name of God. There's this story in Luke where Jesus walked into the temple and he saw the religious people selling birds and animals and stuff to people. And they were, they were it, it was this uh, operation, it was unjust and and uh, they were telling the people that they had to pay the priests in order to come in and worship. And Jesus sees the religious leaders uh, leveraging the name of God and leveraging the law for their benefit. They were exploiting the poor for, for their benefit. And Jesus basically goes off on them and, and turns the whole place upside down. He drives them out, uh, which, which brings me to one of my favorite life quotes I love to say. Um, always remember when asking what would Jesus do, sometimes the answer is flip out and turn over tables. Uh, I love that. <laughs> he did that. So um, when, when we see this, we see this sin of leveraging God's name badly. We see it played out over and over in history, don't we? There was a time during the Middle Ages, you know, we all know about when the entire church in Europe leveraged the name of God to, you know, invade territories of other people and kill everybody there. Um, or, or there was a time where we leveraged the name of God to try church members. We put them on trial for heresy and then burned them out of the stake, all in the name of this God. And God says, don't use my name to do something that I have nothing to do with. And folks do it every day. We still do it every day. I've had people come up to me and say, well, I believe it's okay for, for me and my girlfriend to sleep together because we prayed about it and we don't really feel a conviction. Yes, the Bible says it's fornication, but if it was not okay, if it was really not okay, God would make, he would make us feel bad about it. And so, and so we excuse our sins very often while leveraging the name of God. We leverage the name of God. You ever have somebody come up to you, uh, someone want to tell you something, and instead of just taking responsibility for their own decisions, they pull out this, the God card, <laughs> instead of just taking responsibility. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. It's, it's, this is handy. This, you've got to get yourself one of these, because it's very handy when you want to dodge some responsibility. You just whip it out. 
the God card. Um, it usually goes something like this. Yeah, God told me to serve uh, in such and such a ministry. But then I realized it was kind of lame. And now I think God's telling me to stop. Right? <laughs> Y'all didn't think that was as funny as I did. Um, <laughs> instead of just saying, I'm not really sure what God wants me to do, so I'm going to kind of bounce around until, you know, I got it figured out. Or here's one I know you've heard. It's very popular in youth group. Um, if you're a teenager here, yeah. So God told me that we were supposed to date. Right? And then three weeks later, you go, yeah, I've really enjoyed going out with you, but I feel like God wants me to date this uh, other new hotter person that just started coming. <laughs> right? So, got to obey God. <laughs> right? And God's like, dude, don't pin that on me. Right? Don't blame me for your lack of commitment or fear of confrontation. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not talking... Uh, about what I'm not talking about is when we honestly try to follow the will of God, when we're tr- honestly trying to follow the will of God and we bravely take those, those steps that we believe God is leading us into. That's a beautiful thing. We've prayed. We've sought counsel from wise people. What do you guys feel like? I feel like is God saying this. You know, uh, it doesn't contradict scripture and we take that step and sometimes it works out great. Sometimes when we're just learning to hear the voice of God, it might turn out to be a mistake. So be it. That's Okay. In those times, we just say, God, uh, I thought this was you. I think maybe I missed it. I repent. Thank you for this opportunity to learn to know your voice better. And that's how we grow, right? That's that's what we we all do. But, But I am talking about when we knowingly leverage God's name to do what we really just wanted to do all along, right? God told me not to go to church anymore. Nope, he didn't. I know he didn't. Right? I can guarantee it. That's not God talking. That's all you. And that's okay. Just acknowledge it. Don't pin that on God. Just say, I don't want to go to church anymore. All right, cool. God told me to date this really flaky man child who doesn't love Jesus and has never held a job. No, he didn't. (laughs) Right? I promise you he didn't. Put away the God card. Burn it. Does God speak to us? Absolutely. He he absolutely does. But don't leverage the name of God in order to do something that God has nothing to do with. I'm I'm being funny, but I've seen so many people hurt. People leave the church. I mean, this has destroyed lives. People have left church and walked away confused because of this game somebody played. And, And don't play that game. Don't play that game. Take responsibility for your actions, for your feelings, for your mistakes. If if I were if If I were your personal mentor, you know, and we're like meeting for coffee and we're having this conversation, I would say, man up, right? Don't blame God for your flakiness. Don't use the name of God to manipulate other people and get your way. Everybody wants me to be their mentor until they find out how mean I am (laughs) one-on-one. He's not very nice at all. He's a lot lot funnier on stage. Damn, I'm very mean. I'm very mean. Anyway. We have to be honest with ourselves, right? Ask ourselves, what are we claiming is of God, but God has nothing to do with? It's actually just our take on things. It's actually just our opinion. It's okay to have an opinion. Just don't pin it on God. I got a lot of really good opinions I'll tell you about after church. I don't pin those things on God, though. 
right? Those are Scott opinions. So what am I doing with God's name on a daily basis? Am I lifting it up or am I using it for my own glory? Let me, let me land this plane with some encouraging news because I know this has kind of been harsh, some of this. Yes, we can take the name of God and we can make God look bad, but see, the, good, the flip side of that is this, that we can also carry the name and use it for good. You and I, and this is what God expects us to do. He wouldn't ask us to do something we weren't able to do. He expects us to carry the name and use it for good. One day toward the end of his ministry, Jesus uh, was, was praying to the Father about his disciples. And he said this, he said, God, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are in one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. So scripture tells us something very beautiful here, that we can use the name. We can pray, God, by your power and majesty and the authority of your name, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your will to be done in my life. I pray for your will to be done in these situations going on around me. I pray that this sickness be healed, Lord. I pray that these addictions be cured by the name of Jesus. I pray for this stress and this worry to evaporate into peace. And I pray for whatever around me that is out of harmony with your kingdom, out of shalom, we can pray that that be made whole again in the name of Jesus, because it is a powerful name. The name of God can be misused, but it can also be used very, very well. Amen? Amen? It is a powerful name. And that name that is upon you, it is, it is the embodiment of God's presence himself. He gives that power to you to trust and pray. But you have, to, you have to trust him, you have to pray, right? Because I'll tell you what, the most, tragic, the most tragic way to misuse the name of God is to not use it at all. That's the worst decision of all, is not to use it. Talk about his name being in vain. How much more empty and in vain can you get than to have this incredible gift that God has placed on you and to not use it at all? You are an image bearer of the Lord. You hear us say that a lot in here. You're an image bearer of the most holy God. And you, all, you are already a witness to the world of what God is like. You already are. You carry his name. So carry it well. Amen? Amen.